Welcome to the Community Exchange in Africa podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Muvani. This podcast is for builders of the creator economy who are looking to democratize opportunities and help people get paid for the work they produce with their minds to build a brighter future for Africa. I host conversations with founders and thought leaders who share their stories and insights on new platforms and global technology trends that will shape what's possible in the world of work. Now, today I'm super excited and thrilled to have today's guest, Shani Suleiman. I have been a longtime admirer of his work. I've also had the privilege of working with him while we were at Andela and where he led global operations. Uh, this one actually took me some time, Shenny, to figure <laughs> out what we could talk about because, you know, I think one of the things that you're really good at is you're a generalist. You have this wide breadth of knowledge across different disciplines, uh, whether it's helping high growth startups, you know, achieve you know, uh, operational excellence, building world-class businesses and building and growing your own global brand. So I'd love to deepen, dig, uh, dig uh, further in on some of these areas. Shenny has held multiple operational roles from building and launching a multi-million dollar airline business from the ground up to leading a team of over a thousand people in a high growth company while scaling the operational arm of the business across multiple countries. He is also a Tutu Fellow uh, of 2020. Shenny recently left the corporate world to start his own company as the managing partner and owner of Rincon, a business that helps executives build world-class businesses and high-performance teams. He also holds an electrical engineering degree from Northwestern University and master's from Harvard Business School. Wow. Welcome to the show, Shenny. I mean, I'm just, you know, just <laughs> even you, putting together your profile, I was like, where do you find the time to do all of this? <laughs> it definitely looks uh, a lot more, I'd say, packed than it truly is. And I think we'll unpack some of it, but it, I guess it's a little bit of um, fortune, a little bit of luck, and a little bit of me actually being deliberate about crafting um, a story and a journey for my career. Awesome. Uh, and I want to just dive quickly right into the question that I have for you. Right before this podcast, um, the recording, you actually shared with me that you've been traveling uh, and living in three continents over the last couple of months. Would love yes. to hear about one, just your overall decision to jump out of the corporate world and start your own business. Um, and then what's sort of like motivated you to move from Africa or rather sort of like have different homes in where you're you're living in right now? Yeah, so I'll take that one at a time. I think the the jumping out of corporate, it's something that I would say has been a long time coming. And to be honest, I just didn't have the courage to do it because I didn't feel like I had whatever the mixture of ingredients was to be to be a business owner. And every time I thought about trying to start a business, I would ultimately talk myself out of it <laughs> pretty shortly afterwards. Uh, and so there's a bit of imposter syndrome that I've had um, 
that I think has, has been, you know, a real barrier. I would say I was, uh, I'm probably fortunate because I took a sabbatical. I left Andela in 2020, uh, right before the pandemic began to wreak havoc on the world. And it forced me to just stop and think. And during that time, my goal was to start my own business. Uh, so, I, so I did, and I did three months of revenue, but I, again, chickened out and, you know, had major imposter syndrome and decided to, to take a pause on that. So I went back and took another role as COO at a, at a venture back company uh, based in the US. It was a series C stage company. But a few months into it, uh, I realized the role wasn't the right fit for me. And that was probably a really important realization because I suspect I've, I've, I've worked a lot over the last few years and I bought myself the ability to look for opportunities that are, that are fully aligned with what I'm looking for. And so I decided that that wasn't the right thing for me. And I, I basically left after nine months. I think in that time, I started asking myself, what is it I could do next? That would be a role that would make me feel very energized. And I kept coming back to ideas that I had you know, started working on um, and then chicken out of, and I said, okay, now this is your final, you know, there's no more excuses. Like you've tried to go back into corporate, you realize that it's not what you want to do. And I guess when I say corporate in this sense, it's, it's more like venture back corporate, right? It's not like large enterprise corporate, which is where I used to be before. Uh, but yeah, I just basically realized that there was no running away anymore. And I have enough experience. There's no excuse. I have the experience. I've, I've been able to, you know, play different roles across different teams, across different continents. A lot of what I learned over time and I've deployed across Africa was exactly what I used as my playbook when I was in the US, right? In this new role as a COO. And a lot of the same thought process, you know, frameworks, um, team building, everything else was quite similar. A lot of it applied one for one. And so I'm like, now you have no excuses. You can't say, you know, you, you don't think you're good enough or you don't think you have the right. I and mean, there's, there's nothing missing. Just go do it. So that's kind of how I just decided to just do it and spoke to a lot of people. And there's no perfect time. There's no, you know, it's just about whether or not you feel enough energy and excitement um, and you see a problem that is worth solving. And the problem that I'm solving is one that I've seen in Africa. I've seen it in the US. And from speaking to my friends around the world, it exists everywhere. And so we'll talk about about that more. <laughs> um, Very interesting. So that's yeah, that's that. Now, it's, it's just to your other point around you know, the the uh, geography issue. Now, I think there's a there's a there's a group of us right now that are African from whatever country you're from, you know, in terms of birth and maybe uh, allegiance, if you will, but also global in terms of mindset. And as a result, the things we're looking for end up not being in any particular place. We also have networks that are now you know, interwoven across the world. And it's, I think it's hard to just pick a place. Now, it's harder if the place that you've been based is Lagos, Nigeria, because this is an incredibly difficult place to live. Uh, lots of positive things to say about Lagos, but in terms of quality of life, it's a very difficult place. And so we, my wife and I have been here for, you know, I've, I've been here for the last eight years. And I just needed a break from some of the day-to-day -day, like craziness and hustle of Lagos, which is exciting, but also very exhausting. Um, and we're trying to figure that out right now. And so part of that is us testing different cities um, in different countries to see if we'll find a second home, if you will, that, that just resonates very well with us. So that's, that's what we're up to on a personal front.
Awesome. Um, very interesting. I want to go back to what you said earlier about imposter syndrome. Now, someone who knows you, like me, listening to you is actually pretty surprised that you also struggle with imposter <laughs> syndrome, given that, you know, you know, when, when I interact with you, you have this confidence and this flair about you that, you know, um, that one would think that you don't struggle with that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. I'd just love to double click on it. And I think it would also help um, other people as well, just listening, just to see, to know that uh, many of us also share the same struggles. Yeah. I mean, honestly, every single person I've ever thought highly of and then spent enough time with is insecure about something. I think we all are. And the thing about knowledge and information and access in a world that's moving really fast is you don't know what you don't know. You know you don't know everything. And it just feels like there's so much more to know out there. And I think as a result, uh, people who tend to be high achievers, but also um, tend to lean more in the direction of, I wouldn't say perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist by any means, but people who leaned more towards trying to do things as, as well as possible. Um, I think that there's an element in us where it's like, am I, am I good enough? Do I have everything it takes? Um, so I've decided to lean into it and not run away from it because it happens with so many people. I mean, again, like I said, a lot of people I respect and admire also have gone through this and are currently going through this. And I think all of our careers are cyclical. Right, like there's moments where you're on a peak and you just feel like you know everything you need to know, and you're just, you know, gliding down a very smooth, you know, wind-filled uh, sky. And there are moments where it feels like you're climbing a mountain, and it's just painful. And I think for for anyone who takes on enough new challenges and faces new problems, which is where most of the learning and growth comes from, you're going to be out of your comfort zone pretty often. And when that happens then you start asking yourself the questions of like, am I good enough? Do I, you know, I'm struggling a little bit here. Am I the right person for this? Do I know enough? And, and so that's, that's, that's what it is. And I just, I just embraced it. And I try to see if I can convert that into something positive as opposed to having it be crippling. Interesting. Awesome. Uh, and I, I concur with you in terms of like the world is moving so fast and, you know, regardless of where you're at right now, you're probably, learning something new each time, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> moving absolutely. on, you've mentioned that you've traveled quite a bit. You've now started your own company. What is it about building an African startup that you're excited about now? Yeah, so I think it's, it's actually less of what it is about building a startup that's exciting to me. I'm very scared of building a startup, right? Uh, in fact, I wish I didn't have to build a startup uh, or a company period, but the, the problem I'm addressing or trying to address, I think is what is making me feel like I need to build a company to go, to go address that problem. So when I, basically every role I've had in the last five years, uh, if you ask me or my team members to name the top three issues we have, just things that are on our mind, one of them will be, how do I know the skills I need to get to the next level? And how do I get those skills? Uh, it's just always top of mind for, 
for me and for, and for a lot of people I know on my team and elsewhere. If you go to companies, you go to founders, you go to CEOs, you go to executives, senior people, and you ask them, can you tell me the top three issues that you face day to day running your business? They'll tell you my people is one of the top two. Uh, I've spoken to over 50 founders in the last sort of 18 months. Um, and it's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. I don't prompt them. I just tell them, hey, let me know what your top two issues are. I'm, you know, I'm considering trying to approach solving a problem of some kind. And on their own, they'll tell you it's talent. I need to upskill my team. I need to help people figure out new development areas. I'm so busy trying to run the business and raise money and you know, handle all the external stuff. I can't even focus on doing that internally. And so uh, that problem of being able to, to have the right skills and be able to grow is just one that is deeply painful for individuals and deeply troubling for the companies they work at. And I think it's a space that, uh, that, that I, I wanna play in because that's how we, we truly elevate the game of startups that operate in Africa, but also how we give people the opportunity to have, you know, to achieve their full potential. Speaking um, so of, that's what excites me. Yeah, good. Sorry. Good. No, yes. Good. Speaking of skills, you know, I was I spent some time just reflecting on what are some of the most useful, valuable skills that I have acquired over the last couple of years. And community building is something that came up. Uh, now you have a community. You've built and started a community called Black Ops, which I'm a member of. I love it. Um, and. If you're listening right now and you haven't subscribed to Black Ops, please check it out. Uh, I'll give you an opportunity, Shani, to share with our listeners how they can be able to join. So Black Ops is a community that provides a set of tools, resources, and networks for people, operators to achieve their full potential. I'd love for you to talk about why you decided to build a community, what sort of made you choose that sort of model or framework in, in in building your business? Yeah, so I was tackling exactly the same problem we just described, the one of you know, trying, to, trying to help um, just really talented people acquire the right skills they need to succeed and then helping companies to uh, elevate their, their, their talent. And I wanted to start with an MVP, a minimum, minimum viable product, and just learn more about the problem, learn more about the solution I was, I was working through and you know, it's one thing, the thing they say about like how you build really, really unscalable things in the very beginning to learn more about the business you're trying to build ultimately. Uh, and so I studied some masterclasses. It was called you know, building and leading high-performance teams. And it was focused on people that are managing other people, either within a small team, within a large organization, or you know, even at the executive level. And I did three sessions of the masterclasses with over 100 students, I mean, some, some of the leading companies, you know, uh, around Africa, Flutterwave, Paystack, you know, a bunch of others. And something I kept hearing from attendees was, hey, when we're done with the masterclass, how do we continue to connect? How do we figure out how to even like check in with our peers? That was one. The second thing was the, the highest feedback score we received in, in the survey for the masterclasses was people saying, I loved hearing how my peers in other companies and in other industries think about some of these challenges. I love hearing that I'm not alone in some of the problems I'm facing. And just hearing how people are approaching it, how they're thinking about it was super helpful during the masterclass. So the masterclass is not just me teaching people stuff. It's actually me teaching a little bit and then also me helping to facilitate a conversation amongst 
the, the participants. And so I basically set up this community because I felt that there was a need for operators to connect with each other outside of any formalized learning experiences. And that's how it all got started. Um, and so I, I, my goal is to follow demand in the sense that what, what, is it, what does an operator need? Like I am a manager of finance, a manager of marketing. I'm a director of operations. I'm a VP of you know, growth. What are the things I need to be successful? And how can I get those things? And for me, being able to focus on, on that is basically the goal. And community uh, is, is already and will continue to be a really, really important way for people to learn and grow and develop the skills they need to be successful. So that's how we got started. I totally agree. Uh, and I, I really like that aspect of, you know, learning from other individuals coming together with other individuals who are looking to, you know, move from point A to point B or achieve the same sort of goals. And you're doing it in, you know, a very sort of like in an environment where people share similar values. In line with yeah. that same thinking around uh, demand, I think I shared this with you that I've been running this podcast episode and one of the most popular episodes that I've done to date is the one where I did an episode on how to start a community from scratch. I'll be honest, I was actually surprised that it was the most <laughs> popular one. Uh, but then it, it, it made me actually start connecting the dots to some other conversations I've been having. You know, I was reading about the founder of, of, of Orbit, I believe his name is Patrick Woods, and he was talking about how, you know, today, when you think about the world in which we live in, where software is no longer sold, but it's adopted, we need a yeah. model that moves beyond just measuring linear or binary processes, but one that helps you to capture the adoption metrics as you're moving users along and further into the funnel. And then in speaking with one investor who has now started investing more and more in emerging markets, one of the things that he said, the reason he's excited about investing in these markets is because he's seeing something that did not exist before, which is the mm. rate of adoption is much higher than it was before. And so that's mm. what made me start you know, wanting to double click on this aspect of community uh, because I realized there's something there to it in terms of even yeah. building a, a community model. Tell me more about how you've built and grown your community. I really like what you've done with it because I feel like even as much as it's an online community, yeah. there's still a lot of value we're getting from it. Yeah, so I think it's it's, the, the philosophy for me is humans are, are very communal by default. Um, and I think maybe some parts of the world that doesn't hold as true today as, as it did in the past, but certainly in Africa, uh, we're still very community oriented. If you go back as far as 4,000 BC, there's, there's like tons of evidence of humans building you know, high walls around the Sahara and other places and having small communities that live together you know, in, in the hundreds. And so, I'm, I'm kind of tapping into our ancestral roots a little bit here <laughs> and trying to say what are the ways in which we've passed on information from generation to generation in the past? What are the ways in which we've um, come together to build you know, a big wall to defend ourselves from the forces of nature and other you know, enemies? And I think in the, in, the, in the business world, the equivalent is like, how do we come together to uh, fight imposter syndrome, to acquire the knowledge we need 
and to basically advance you know together and so the the, the approach for me has been one to have a, a smaller curated network and that one is you know each individual there is personally vetted by me initially uh, we're going for people that have that desire to engage that desire to share that desire to learn um, it's ego free and you're not here to have a an argument like what happens on Twitter today, which I think is many times very unproductive. Uh, but instead, you're here because you as an operator have been through experiences where you're like, I wish there was someone I could reach out to to help me with this. And you still are going to have more of those in the future. But you also want to be there for someone else who is going through a similar experience. And so that's the smaller community. Uh, for that one, it's again, like it's gonna be very curated and the rate of growth there will be pretty organic. So it'll be mostly referral based and you know somebody in the network probably knows you and, and that's how you get into it. And then there's a broader network that is gonna be more of, uh, if you're interested in just connecting with other operators in a way that is non-curated and it's just like a regular discussion forum, um, we'll do that. I haven't actually set up that other community yet. I've just had people express interest and what we do now is we've turned that into a newsletter. So we have over 500 people on that newsletter. And every month we'll send something out uh, with, you know, just insights from the, from the smaller community itself, some of the discussions we're having in there, some other content that is relevant to operators, as well as jobs that are from our network. And so over time, what I would love to do is for the curated version, have something that's more focused for senior people, which is where we are today. It's, you know, we have senior managers and above. We have you know, VPs, directors, C-level, and then have something that's focused on people that are a little bit earlier in their careers. So a lot of the applicants for the community actually, you know, are slightly less experienced. And I had to say no to them. And I felt really bad because I'm like, you know, they, they wrote really amazing applications. And these are really high potential talents that are going to be the directors and the VPs and the C-suite level in the future. And they probably even needed more, right? And so I think I'm going to have two communities that are focused on a more curated um, member list and then have a much broader community that's just really anyone can join that one and and hopefully it doesn't turn into Twitter if it does I shut it down <laughs> so that's my I mean, approach right. yeah <laughs> yeah just so far I can see with the content that I've been receiving it's it's high quality it's relevant super valuable um speaking of yeah. the members of your community many of them are from high growth startups with founders from Africa. What, what to me I found really exciting is the amount of funding that's coming into Africa startups right now has increased significantly. We're looking at, I think the year before last was I think right around maybe $1.6 billion last year. It was at, uh, we raised $4.9 billion. And most of that money, I would say a, a, a significant portion of that money went to Nigerian startups, startups in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I'd love to just hear from you. What is it that you're seeing about startups or founders in Nigeria and, any, and other parts of the continent that is interesting, is exciting, and, and that's making us attract funding? I mean, I think there, there are probably two things, right? Um, one is big problems equals big opportunity. And I, I believe that 
through some of the success stories, or at least success in the making stories that we've had on the continent recently, it's opening a lot of investors' eyes to the fact that you can deploy capital here and people can build businesses that have material returns, right? I think that story is still very much in the early stages of being written. And so uh, we have many, many more chapters to go through. But the, the, some of the things that happened in Latin America and in you know, Southeast Asia, I think some of those same signals, uh, we're giving those signals in Africa today. And for some reason, I mean, I feel like it's been that way for a long time. People just didn't think of Africa as an investable continent uh, in, in a more democratic way. I think now, you know, the average VC uh, is now becoming more familiar with names of companies that have been born out of countries in Africa, and therefore it's more approachable for them. I think the second big thing is talent. And one, there, there's been a huge influx of talent into the startup space. And so both in terms of founders taking the risk to go build companies and operators who are jumping from you know, much more mature established companies into these startups, um, there's just more talent. And so usually talent is what builds companies, right? Um, and so if, if the talent is there and the building companies and, and the investors are more interested, then it just becomes a, a virtual cycle that more money goes in and more talented people build more interesting things, which makes the investors feel like, wow, you throw money into this continent, things are happening. And so let's throw some more money and then they see more things happening and then it just becomes a cycle. So I, I think that's kind of what I, what I observe um, right now. And I think most people would observe the same thing. There've been a few companies that have been really, really helpful. Like the, you know, just really, really loud and prominent news headlines, right? And I think we, we all recognize the Andelas, the Flutterwaves, the Paystacks of the world who've played a really big role in putting us on a global stage and having people say, wow, okay, yeah, maybe I should go spend some more time there and, and put some of my money there. I think those companies are also spinning off um, investors locally as well. People who are writing you know, 2K checks, 5K checks. And I believe eventually, uh, those companies will spin off more operators, which is already happening, and more investors, and more founders, and more operators, and more. And, you know, and that's the future I see. And so for me, it's really who's thinking about employee number 10 and 15. Right? Everyone's thinking about the founder always, but who thinks about these operators? Um, how do they know where they should be in the market? How do they know how to acquire the right skill sets? How do they network with each other? How do they learn from? The collective experience that they're all going through building this thing together and so that's where black ops plays you know and, and, I'm, and i'm also making a bet in the future of the continent my assumption is that we will get more funding and we'll have more startups and there'll be more operators and if that holds true then you know we'll, we'll be the home for operators i agree on that front um you've talked about you know more talent coming out um, and being fed into the marketplace. So we're seeing better talent. Could you share some examples of either companies that you've supported to become world-class um, or individuals that you have been able to support? Yeah, I mean, I think my proudest um, when it comes to supporting uh, with success of either companies or individuals, I think my proudest uh, achievements there would be my own direct teams and people that I then influenced indirectly because they were operating in the same organization as me. And without putting them on blast, I think there are just a number of Andela alumni who were on my team, uh, who are now you know, in very significant roles, country manager roles, 
you know, director of operations roles. And they, many of them have seen like a pretty big leap in terms of being able to step into leadership roles um, as well. And when I watched that happening, and, I, and I, I'm still in touch with many of them, and they, they tell me, you know, hey, some of the stuff that we learned from you, we're using that now with our teams. And I think that they will then propagate the same um, sort of teaching around values and, and um, skills and, you know, building high-performing teams themselves. And their students will become teachers and then they'll keep propagating, right? So I think that's really, really exciting. Um, I actually have, have tabs on the people that I, I'm tracking to see like what their journey will continue to look like. And, you know, one day I'll go and try to claim credit for some of their achievements. <laughs> Uh, so that's one part of it. The other part of it are around companies. I think there are probably two examples that really stand out uh, of, of, of a few. Uh, one is a company that is, is actually quite well known and they were trying to have a strategy session, an offsite. And so I ended up speaking to the founder who's a friend and he said, hey, why don't you help us with this? So I helped them to organize a two-day you know, strategy offsite. And it was very intense, you know, lots of like heated, energized conversations. But ultimately, the structure of the strategy session and the content and some of the things we, we were able to achieve, they thought it was super, super helpful. And they recently announced a new, raise, a new round of funding. And I reached out to say, hey, congratulations. And they said, hey, look, the thing we did together was super helpful in us being able to raise money. Like we kind of just executed the plan as is with you know, the usual modifications that you would make for, for a startup. So I think that was one example of a, of a company that really benefited from you know, my help. I think they were going to be successful regardless. So, um, but I'm happy to be a footnote in their story. And there are a few other ones. Uh, maybe I'll just give that one for now. That's beautiful. I love the stories that you've shared. Yeah, um, exciting time. Yeah, it, exciting time. It sure is. You, you have this unmatched energy, passion, motivation, even in the midst of ambiguity and change um, that I find really admirable. Uh, and inspiring what keeps you going uh it's funny because I think <laughs> I think two things keep me going and they're both one is going to sound very strange uh one of the things that keeps me going is and this one is probably more negative is imposter syndrome where I never think I'm good enough um I think now I'm beginning to feel more so that way that like okay you know what you've actually like if you just look at your track record speaks for itself. And so maybe you should start being so uh, anxious about, about whether or not you're good enough. So that's one thing that keeps me going. And it makes me want to keep learning and keep um, just stepping out of my comfort zone all the time. The second thing that keeps me going is a deep held belief that at the end of the day, the things that matter the most are the relationships we have and, and the ways in which we've made people feel and the things that we have helped to actualize in the world, right? And how they've impacted other people. And so one of my goals is to be able to spend, you know, a big part of my life being able to create, scale, grow, nurture things that people will say, oh man, I use that service or I use that product or I, you know, joined that thing and it really made a difference in my experience in whatever way. So helping to build an airline, you know, this is a country in Nigeria in particular, is a country where we had 40% on-time departures. You literally could not plan your day around your flights. And the, the service was crap. Flights were not great. People were always frustrated. You, you fly, get to your destination, and then you need a few hours just to like 
unwind from the, from the stress you just went through. And so building an airline that, you know, a lot of corporate people use, uh, embassies use, like lots of, you know, multinationals use and meeting people who are like, hey, that was an amazing airline. I flew it. Have you heard of it? I'm like, yeah, I built that. Um, it's just like very, very personally fulfilling in a selfish way. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm just a better human being as a result. And I think, you know, same thing goes for Andela, like being able to have um, been part of helping to, to, to scale a company that people are saying, hey, thanks to that experience, I was able to accelerate my earning potential, accelerate my career growth. I can now work with global companies. That is just for me, a personally satisfying thing. And so uh, I think that those are the two things that motivate me. On the one hand, is being feeling like an imposter. And then on the other hand, knowing that um, what I create is going to be a big part of how I evaluate my my presence in this world. Interesting. So would you say that having sometimes um, this insecurity within yourself just pushes you to do much better? Yeah, I think, I think so. I, I think insecurity can be a really, really bad thing where you're defensive and you don't want to be wrong and you're trying to hide your weaknesses. And I think those are where you see leaders who um, who end up becoming the types of people that you don't want to work with, right? Uh, overbearing and you know don't listen very well and always have a strong opinion and no one else can be right, things like that. And I think on the other side, uh, you can actually embrace your insecurities and have everyone realize that you're not perfect either. And so they don't need to feel like they have to be perfect. And in doing so, you can be your authentic self. You can bring your full wholesome self to work and or, or to wherever else it is that you, you show up. And I think that's actually where I'd rather be is rather than trying to hide that I, you know, when people tell me, oh my God, you're so like this, you're so that, I'm like, well, you should see the, the list of the few hundred things that, I'm, that I think I'm not good at, right? And, but I'm okay with it, it's fine. Like I've done enough to feel like I'm able to hold my own out there in any conversation, in any environment. But I also know that I have some areas that um, I can keep polishing over time. And so, yeah, I think it could be a really good thing, but it could also, it could also end up taking, taking, a, taking your best, um, what's the word? It, it could end up having you behave in a way that, that you may not be proud of if you let it get the best of you. Yeah. Oh. My last question, uh, your experience at Tutu Fellow, how has it been? What are your, the key lessons or the things that you've been able to pull out of that experience? Yeah, it was, it was really great. Um, you know, I don't want to go into like describing the Tutu Fellowship itself just because uh, it'll take time and people can actually read up on it online. But I think that it is worth me sharing a couple of the, the insights that I got from there. I actually wrote a few of them down because it was great. Overall, really great experience. I'd recommend it to anyone who, who has an opportunity to go for it. I would say the number one most important takeaway I, I got, and it's not something that I never knew, but it, just the way it landed and was received was just amazing, was that we, as people, we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. I think it's a quote by someone called Anais Min, I believe. Uh, and what that means basically is no one actually hears information the way it's intended to be delivered. 
most people have a filter and a lens through which everything passes through. And that filter and that lens is based on your individual experiences. So, I mean, they made us do exercises like, hey, what was it like growing up in your family? What were the conversations on the dining table? How did your family think of play versus work? Um, and you start asking yourself these questions and then you realize how much those things impact who you are today. And so every human being is a walking, like just crazy, weird combination of decades of, of experiences, interactions and biases that we bring to the table and everything we see, we see through our own lens, not because of that's what they, that's how they are, but because that's who we are. And so I think what that means for op, you know, leaders and operators and people that are trying to um, you know, build communities, build leaders, build companies is all those things involve dealing with other human beings. And the more you can realize that everyone is approaching the world through their own lens, one, the more empathy you can have. Uh, so when people react a certain way, you don't assume they're bad people. You just assume that they probably have a different set of assumptions than you did, right? That's number one. I think number two, it actually helps us improve our self-leadership. So if I know that my way of doing things is not necessarily the right way, it's just my way. If I know that my value system, my beliefs, they're not necessarily universal truths. They're just based on my own upbringing and my own assumptions and my own you know, reality then I can become more conscious of the way I lead others, the way I interact with others, the way I engage with others. And the goal for all of us, you know, because this is within the context of building things and, and creating things, the goal for all of us is how do we get these people from diverse backgrounds and experiences to come together, find some shared beliefs and common understanding, and then go do something together with that. And so if you can be more empathetic to other people, you can also learn to be, a better leader of yourself, then it just accelerates your chances of being able to serve as a force for moving humanity forward. And I think that was probably the biggest of all the things that we, I mean, there, I had a list of like 30 things that I wrote down of like, you need to go read this every single year, but this was probably the number one out of all of those. I love that, you know, find people where you could be able to have this common shared belief and then figure out ways in which you can build together. That's such a powerful takeaway. Thank you so much, Shani. Um, if someone is interested in joining the Black Ops community, where yeah. can they go to get started? They can go to blackops.community. Um, literally, it's on, it's on the internet. We have a website and it'll just give some information about what the community is about. But there are two links that are probably the most useful ones. One is join community, which means you want to join the curated vetted community and we look at applications twice a month and then we get back uh, to individuals with either scheduling an interview or, or whatever the next steps are and then the second thing is basically join a startup which is our mailing list for jobs and so you can use that to add yourself to a list of you know 500 plus and growing people who receive a monthly digest with jobs from startups in our communities um, and they can follow our twitter handle it's black ops afr i couldn't get black ops africa because someone else had it <laughs> uh, so black ops afr and then our instagram is black ops africa awesome thank you so much shenny it's been wonderful having you feature as a guest on the community exchange podcast and thank Likewise. you so much for sharing your insights 
It's been great. Uh, so great to always, uh, well, always great to talk to you. And I think some of the questions were really helpful for me even just to reflect a bit. So thanks for the opportunity. I had a great time. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Community Exchange Podcast. Subscribe or follow now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please share with a friend who needs to hear this. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter using my handle, Agnes Mugoni. Thanks again for listening, and here's to you and your community. Thank you.